0: thousand years ago, there lived a noble man by the name of David. David, he was king of all of Israel, he was God's chosen servant, a man after God's own heart, he was the faithful leader of God's people, the quintessential picture of integrity and courage and love. And although David's life, if you were to read about it, you would learn that it was it was an epic life, full of adventure, full of very high highs, but also very low lows. David lived a life of toil and strife. He worked very hard to get to where he was in life, and so one day he decided it was time to kick up his feet and just relax and just, just enjoy life and, and, and calm down a little bit. And so what we read in 2 Samuel 11 is this, in the spring, when the kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, on the surface, this doesn't seem like a very big deal. Doesn't David deserve to chill? Doesn't he deserve the spoils of being king while his men go off to fight his battles? It seemed harmless on the surface, but David, as you'll read, was in the wrong place. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So what happened with David? Well, one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of his palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman that he saw was very beautiful. And so David sent somebody to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. If you were to read the story, you would discover that David's glance at this beautiful woman turned into a gaze. His gaze turned into a seemingly harmless inquiry about who she was. The harmless inquiry turned into an invitation. And the invitation turned into adultery. And adultery turned into a cover-up plan which eventually turned into murder, which eventually turned into despair for the house of David. David, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the the chosen one of God, he slept with this beautiful woman that he saw bathing from his house top, his rooftop. When he found out that she was pregnant, he gave orders to have her husband Uriah killed on the battlefield. And so while Uriah and all Israel were at war fighting for God's people, David was at home conspiring how to cover up his sin. I don't think it's any secret that a little sin goes a long way. Maybe you today, you're here with us this morning, and if you're being real with yourself today and evaluating where you're really at and what you're really going through, maybe you, like David, have actually fallen into the snare of sin. Something very small turned into something very big, and now you wonder, could you ever go back? Could you ever piece things back together again? Well, if you find yourself today in this place of despair, or you know somebody today in this place of despair wondering if you could ever have freedom, wondering if you could ever be released from the things that beat you down, I want you to know, South Valley, today that there is hope for those who have messed up. Because sinners like David, sinners like me, sinners like you, can be restored. You can be made happy again. But not by running from problems, not by covering up problems, not by justifying problems, not by telling yourself that things aren't as bad as they really are. The only way to be made happy again is to confess your need to Jesus. The only way to be set free from the snare of sin is to actually confess what has happened in your life to God and to others. Today, we're going to talk about the freedom of confession. In a psalm written by David, after his biggest blow-up, his biggest sin, the most scandalous chapter in the entire Bible, David sleeps with a woman kills his her husband and now he has to cover it up what does he do next psalm 32 i'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it today will you pray with me father god i lift up this church service to you today And as i was going through worship this morning uh, i know it's so easy to kind of just fall into a routine we come we we sing a song we do announcements we sing a few songs we sit down we hear a message and then we move on but god you want so much more for us than that you call us to so much more than that. You you call us to actually be real about what's going on in our lives and and my hope and my prayer for this church is that we would be a church that's okay with real. I pray that we would be a church that's okay with 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 looking at ourselves really who we are in the mirror and bringing people around us to help us become what we could never be on our own. Jesus, you give grace, you give forgiveness, you give life. You 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 offer so much through the cross. And so I pray that we would not be afraid to come to you as we are and to experience your love, your forgiveness, your freedom from guilt and shame. I pray that that would happen even this morning for the people in this room. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up now to Psalm 32. We're continuing in a sermon series called Summer of Psalms. Last week we talked about Psalm chapter 1. This week we're going to be in Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32 is similar to Psalm 1 in some ways. You're going to see that in just a moment. But before I jump into the passage, I wanted to to show you guys something on the screen here. Uh, Any of you know what this television show is? Anybody ever see this show before? Okay, three of you. All right, this is this is a TV show called This Is Us. Now, this came out in 2016. It's still going on in 2022. I watched. I stopped watching it a long time ago, but I loved this show because this guy named Jack in the show was one of my favorite characters. And if you know about Jack, Jack had a, a really you know really sad episode. He ended up l- losing his life in the episode, uh, and he continues in 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 the show. But what happened was. This thing, this crock pot, all right, this old school, my wife just made some amazing roast this week in crock, praise God for crock pots, all right, so I like crock pots. But here's the thing, and this is us, this little crock pot, he's cooking something for his family, he goes to sleep at night, and something, you know, goes goes haywire in the crock pot, and this little thing causes a fire and burns his whole life his whole house to the ground, and as he's trying to save his family, he inhaled smoke, and and, and Jack died. Rest, rest in peace, Jack. You were a good man, okay? So that's Jack. Now, if you haven't seen This Is Us, that's how the, the you know, first season starts off, so you're going to figure it out really quickly. But I don't actually think, I was thinking about Jack, I was thinking about This Is Us as I was reading this psalm, because I realized that little things can set big things on fire. Now, I don't actually think that every crock pot is a ticking time bomb in your kitchen, okay? You could leave it there and, and it will do its thing. It will work magic. I just realized that this week. Crock pots work magic. But although I don't think your t- crock pot's a ticking time bomb, there may be ticking time bombs in your life. Things that you need to unplug because if you don't, They could catch fire and burn everything down around you. As we listen to David's story, what we learned is that David, something very small, like a glance in the wrong direction, can trigger something very dangerous, very disastrous. Well, the good news is that although David's story is scandalous, it didn't actually end in despair. A little stare, a little glance in the wrong direction, started a little spark. That little spark caused a big fire. That big fire burnt down the house of David. David was was reeling because of his sin, and his life was despairing. He messed up. He blew it. He knew it. Others knew it. And so he was in this spot where he was broken and hurting. He didn't know what to do. For almost a year, he kept silent about his sin. And during that time, we read that that the sin in his heart, it ate at his soul. So much that he said he was burning up on the inside. He felt like his bones were wasting away. His sin, it had burned up the things that he had cared about the most in life. Until one day after being confronted by the prophet Nathan, David finally opened up and confessed what had happened in his life. So Psalm 32, that's where we're at this morning. So let's look at the passage together. This is what it says. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin." Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts. Of deliverance. Now you're going to notice I gave you a piece of paper this week with the passage on there and a little bit of information on the notes today. My encouragement through the summer of Psalms is to mark up either your Bible or that piece of paper. Okay, so as we're studying passages together, if there's something that stands out to you, circle it. Underline it. Write a note next to it. Look for words that are repeated. Look for words you don't understand, that you need clarity on. Interact with the text, because I want us to not just hear the passages, but know the passages deep down in here. So, Psalm 32. This psalm describes the restored happiness of broken sinners once they confess and repent of their sin. That's Psalm 32. If you are a broken sinner and you confess and repent of your sin, did you know that you can be happy again? Can I get an amen? God restores broken sinners. Psalm 1 was about the blessed path. Psalm 32 is, a, is similar to Psalm 1, because instead of talking about the blessed path, it talks about a different kind of path. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So last week we covered Psalm 1, this week it's Psalm 32. They're juxtaposed with each other because both Psalms share the same opening word, the same opening line. We looked at this last week with Psalm 1, and it's this Hebrew word, Ashrei. Now, ashray, ashray means blessed or happy or how happy. Psalm 1 says blessed is the one who walks God's path. Psalm 32 is blessed is the one who sins but is forgiven. So uh, ashray means uh, how happy. It also described a, a heightened state of happiness uh, the, and the joy of Enjoy implying very favorable circumstances and enjoyment. So the, the, this is the very first word of the book of Psalms. It sets the tone for the entire book of Psalms. And, and what we learn is that Psalms is an instruction manual or guidebook along the path of happiness. Here's why I want to show you this. The message of Psalm 1. Happy is the person who remains on the right path. And so what the message basically is is that the person who does things God's way will live a happy life. They read their Bible, they live a righteous life, they take no pleasure in the wicked. As I read Psalm 1 and as we studied it last week, some of you are probably thinking, like, that's that's who I want to be. I want to be like the strong and sturdy tree of Psalm 1, someone who, whose life is rooted in God, faithfully growing. But here's the thing, if doing everything the right way is the only path to happiness, then I think most of us can expect a miserable life, right? If doing everything the right way all the time is the only way to the blessed life, to the happy life, then if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us are like, man, well, count me out. I can't do that. See, Psalm 32, what's so cool about it, it describes a different kind of happy person. Psalm 1 described the happy, righteous person. Psalm 32 describes the happy sinner. Today's sermon is titled, The Happy Sinner. It's a reminder that even if we have failed big time, God is gracious enough to dust us off and restore our happiness. In Psalm 32, it provides four characteristics of the happy sinner. You guys ready for this? Four characteristics of the happy sinner. Number one, the happy sinner is the forgiven sinner. The forgiven sinner. Look at what it says verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, I know for some of you the title happy sinner may sound provocative, but please don't take it that way. I don't mean to downplay sin. In in fact, David sees sin as a much bigger deal than we are accustomed to. You see, in this passage, David uses three words to describe the scope of his sin with Bathsheba and eventually the murder of Uriah. He uses three words to describe sin. The three words are this. He calls sin a transgression. A transgression is when you cross the line, okay? There's a line in the sand, you crossed it. There's a boundary, you went over it. Do not commit adultery, you commit adultery. You cross the line. The other is a coming up short. He describes sin as a coming up short. So, So here's the bar, like love your neighbor as yourself. When you don't do that, you come up short. That's sin. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of positive commands. There are negative commands, thou shalt not, and there are positive commands. So we could cross the line or we could come up short. The other word that he uses for sin is an iniquity. An iniquity is, means that you're living a crooked life. Sin has tainted you, perverted you, broken you, to where now David was a man after God's own heart. And now look at what he's doing behind the scenes. He's conspiring behind the scenes. He's looking at someone he shouldn't. He sleeps with someone he shouldn't. He, he tries to come up with a plan to get rid of someone he shouldn't. It had it made him crooked. And here's the big idea that David wants to point out at the beginning of this psalm. And we're going to get to the good news, but he starts with the bad news, and it's this. We'll never understand... The blessedness of forgiveness until we understand the weightiness of sin. One thing I wanted to share with you guys today is this. Sin, according to scripture, is not just a mistake. A whoopsie daisy. uh, Oh man, I did it again. Because not a Britney Spears song. Sin is is not just this little thing that we do every now and then. Sin, according to the Bible, is actually cosmic treason. That's sin. Sin is actually such a big deal that in order for God to do away with sin, to cover sin, to wash sin, he had to send his perfect spotless son of God in order to... to Live the life we couldn't live, die the death we deserve to die, raised from the grave for our salvation. That is how big of a deal sin is. And so when David comes to the realization of what he did, he's realizing, oh my gosh, I didn't just, I didn't just make a little mistake. I sinned. I rebelled, I committed cosmic treason. When, when he confesses in Psalm 51, this is what he says about his sin. He says, against you, God, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now at first glance, you're like, what do you mean against you only? Uriah is not alive. Bathsheba is going through all kinds of craziness. You sinned against all Israel. David knows that, but he knows first and foremost, when we sin, first and foremost, it is it's an offense to the God who made us. David sinned against the God who made him, the God who loves him, the God who is holy and righteous and perfect and good. And David had to come to terms with the fact that he didn't just blow it a little bit, he blew it big time. He had sinned. Well, the good news is that God forgives repentant sinners. Just as David uses three powerful words to describe the scope of sin... He also uses three powerful words to describe what God does with sin when we actually confess it to him. You want to see those words? This is what he says. When you confess your sin to God, you know what the first thing he does? Forgive sin. You know what else he does? He covers it. David was trying to cover things up. What he really needed to do was bring it to the light. Because when it's brought to the light and brought to the Father and confessed... God is the only one who can actually cover it, and He doesn't just forgive it; He doesn't just cover it. But one day, when you stand before Him at the judgment, you stand in His present presence at the end of your life. He will no longer count it against you. And so that's why David starts off this psalm in a very different way than he starts Psalm one. Psalm one is "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked." Psalm thirty-two. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Can I get an amen? If you're forgiven, you are the most blessed person on the planet. Did you know that? If you are here this morning and you have been forgiven by Jesus, washed by the blood of Christ. We sang a song just a little bit ago. Jesus paid it all. If you have confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you have been saved, you have been forgiven. It doesn't matter what you're going through in this life. It doesn't matter what you're facing, what kind of trials you might be going through. You are blessed if you are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That word forgiveness, it means to have our sin lifted off. Now, now here's what I want to get to this morning. Before we confess sin, we bear that sin like a burden on our backs. That's what David was doing. David sinned, and he held on to it for a year. He didn't tell a soul. He thought I could cover it up. I can move on, I could get past this, I'll forget about it in the future, something will change, and I'll be able to, you know, live my life normal again for one year. He tried to forget about it, he tried to cover it, but it weighed on him. Sin is this heavy weight on our backs. John Bunyan writes about this in Pilgrim's Progress. He says, uh, when the main character Christian encountered the cross with this heavy burden on his back, his burden loosed off his shoulders, fell from off his back, began to tumble, and continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the grave where it fell in forever. That's what Jesus does with the weight on our back. But here's the thing. We actually have to bring that weight to the Lord. The good news is that when we confess our sin, when we bring that weight, he removes it from us. Look at these passages. He he removes sin. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. That's what happens when we are forgiven. The next one. Isaiah. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. The happy sinner is the forgiven sinner. Number two, the happy sinner is also the honest sinner. The honest sinner. Look at what he says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I groaned all day long. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So this is a reminder, the second section is a reminder that sin takes us down the opposite path of happiness. So maybe today you find yourself at a spot in your life where you realize this to be true. The problem with sin, when, when, we, when we choose to do things our way instead of God's way, when we choose to cover up our lives instead of being transparent, is, is that sin o- always overpromises and under-delivers. It never actually satisfies us like we think it would. And so the problem then with unconfessed sin is that it pokes and it prods and it haunts the individual. Now, this makes me think of something that happened when I was 17. When I was 17, I broke my ankle uh, riding bikes with my friends. And uh, as a kid, I actually broke, I broke lots of bones growing up, I, I raced motocross, I rode bikes, I did, I skated, I snowboarded, all that stuff, so I had lots of broken bones growing up, but one thing that I hated about broken bones was the timing of it, like if I got hurt right before summer, that would bother me the most, because now I couldn't hang out with my friends and have fun, and uh, this happened right before summer, so I broke my ankle, I have a cast, Summer's here. I want to swim. I want to hang out. I want to go to the beach. I want to do what everybody else is doing. And so I'm like, you know what? Forget this cast. I'm cutting it off. (laughs) And so I did. I cut it off. And I start walking around without a cast on and a broken ankle. And at first I'm like, this is awesome. I get to swim. I get to go in the ocean. I get to surf. I get to do what everybody else is doing. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this doesn't feel right. And so I go back to the doctor, and the doctor's like, yeah, you, you need to put your cast back on. That's why it doesn't feel right. And so I'm like, okay. So I get, a, I get a cast back on, and I have it on for another week. And I'm like, man, I liked life without a cast. So I cut it back off again. <laughs> then I go back to the doctor Six weeks later, because I'm limping around everywhere I go, and I'm like not happy. I, I thought I'd be having a happy summer. Summer's over now, and I'm still limping around. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is not right. I go to the doctor, and he said, yeah, well, you, you cut your cast off twice. What do you expect, man? Like now you need to go see a surgeon, and the surgeon needs to go in. They need to fix your ankle because you, you ignored the problem. It festered. It, it got worse. You didn't address the issue, and now you're in a worse spot. Well, that's exactly what sin does. When unconfessed, when unaddressed, it festers. It pokes, it prods, it grows, it pulls you into darkness. You think for a second it's gone and then it comes back even worse. And the moment we think we're free of it, we realize like, oh my gosh, no, it's still here and it's actually growing David says, when I kept silent about what was going on in my life, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. I groaned all day long. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer because unconfessed sin is like a disease in the body. It steals our strength. It robs our joy. It's like a dark and depressing cloud that follows us everywhere we go, forcing us into isolation. And this is why. An unconfessed sin could never lead to to a path of happiness. This kind of sinner will never be happy because the happy sinner is the honest sinner. The honest sinner. The one who says, yep, this is a problem. It's time to own it. You know why I'm preaching Psalm 32 today? Because I've realized, as I've talked with people in this church and gotten to know people and started discipleship relationships, there are people who have been sweeping their issues under the rug for years. And they've been trained to sweep their issues under the rug for years. And, and I don't, I don't want to shame you for that. I, I understand why you would do that. That's, that's self-preservation, right? We don't want people to know the real us. We don't want people to see what's really happened behind the scenes. It's really hard to confess. It's really hard to be honest. It's really hard to know who to trust and open up with. But here's the thing. As we go deeper and deeper into God's word, we learn more about Jesus Christ. We learn more about the scriptures. The scriptures are like a mirror. And eventually we're going to have to look up at the mirror and we get to see who we really are. And most of the time when we see who we really are, I hate to tell you this, but we don't look very pretty when we see the the real us it's just the truth so what do we do next you see the scripture's supposed to be a mirror that shows you your ugly self it's supposed to show you your ugly self because once you see your ugly self you're like man that guy needs some help <laughs> that that chick needs some help no makeup's gonna fix that. No new hairstyle's gonna this this is bigger than than I could do on my own. You know what seeing your ugly self is supposed to make you do? It's supposed to make you get on your knees and call out to the only one who could actually change you and turn your life around. That's what it's supposed to do. David needed to see his ugly self. What I feel like as we're going through a new season at South Valley, we're going to talk a lot about about discipleship here in the fall and really getting into each other's lives. What I'm hoping for our church is that we would be okay with being real and transparent with each other. That's my hope for this church. That's where I think we're at now in this journey. We've been doing this for a little bit now. Now it's time to address the things in our lives that really need to be addressed. Not because, you know, like we just, we just want to make life hard on people. No, because we want to see people live the happy life, the happy path. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. You can be today a happy sinner. Can I get an amen? We need more people who are willing to be real. Who are willing to be brave, who are willing to share the truth, who are willing to look at themselves in the mirror. And the mirror I'm talking about is the word of God. You see, there's no shame in confessing sin. You know what's so liberating about the Christian worldview is that the Christian worldview teaches that all of us are sinners by nature and choice. That's actually liberating. You know why? Because if you confess your sin to me, I can't sit there and look at you and be like, oh man, you are messed up. I can't, man, you are so messed up. Well, you need some serious help because you know what? So do I. We are all sinners by nature and choice. Confession then should be a regular part of... Of Christian living. That should be a regular part of what we do. Instead, we've been conditioned through social media and through, you know, perfect personas that we see on the internet and through uh, just religion to, to push things aside and not be real and not be honest and to sweep things under the rug. And then we wonder why our lives are not changing, why things are not getting better, why we seem to repeating the same habits over and over again. Well, because uh, we, we're, we're being tormented by guilt, so I uh, I got a Master of Divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary. So I did undergrad work at Eternity Bible College. Then I went and got a master's degree. And when I got this master's degree, it was a hundred and like fifteen unit master's degree, so a huge master's degree, and the and and it took me six years to do. I don't know why I signed myself up for that. That was crazy. But did this degree, and and I did this because I wanted to uh, study the whole Bible. So I had to study the whole Bible. I had to learn the languages, Greek and Hebrew. I had to learn apologetics. I had to learn, uh, I had to learn philosophy. I had to learn other world religions. I, had, I wanted to, to do all of that. But you know what I didn't know that I would get the most out of actually through that? Was my classes on counseling. I took classes on family counseling, addiction counseling, counseling children. Okay, That was part of the prerequisites, part of what I had to go through in order to graduate. And and one thing that I learned about counseling, one thing that I learned about people is that guilt, when guilt grabs a hold of our lives, guilt forces us to do self-destructive things. A lot of the self-destructive behavior in our lives, if we were actually to get to the core of it, is, is, is spurned on by guilt. Either we're punishing ourselves because we feel like we don't deserve good in our lives or we are, uh, we're, we're ashamed of what we're doing, and, and, and so we, we try to mask it or try to, to cover it up with a substance of some kind. We, we, we do all these things, put all these things in our bodies. We react to certain ways because a lot of us are motivated by guilt. Well, the happy sinner is the honest sinner. They're not just an honest sinner. Number three, the happy sinner is also... The repentant sinner. The happy sinner is the repentant sinner. So not only do we come before God honestly, come before others honestly, but once we get it out, we actually repent of that sin. Repent means to turn away from something. Listen to what the passage says, Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. He stopped holding it in. He stopped holding it in. He acknowledged it to God, and and, and the fact that he's writing this on paper, what does this also show about his, his confession? Was his confession only private? It's for the whole world to see, right? He was a leader sinning behind the scenes, leading God's people, and so he couldn't just have a Private confession between him and God. That's the other side of confession. Sometimes when life is a mess and we're making mistakes and we have things that have grabbed a hold of us, we don't just bring it to God, we actually have to tell others as well. People we trust and love and know that care about us. He had to, he had to bring this out for, the, for everybody to see. I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin Selah. Now, in Christianity, we we often say, come as you are. Right? We mean that. When you come here to South Valley, come as you are. Exactly as you are, where you're at. Be the real you. Be transparent. But there is a caveat to this, and it's something we sometimes leave out. And it's this. Come as you are, but don't leave as you are. That's what Jesus does. Jesus sees the woman caught in adultery. He knows that she sinned. He covers for her sins. He draws that, you know, line in the sand and says, you know, if you you haven't sinned, then you throw a stone at her. And and, and everybody leaves. Well, he doesn't just say to her, all right, now take off. Good job. You're, You're forgiven. What's he say to her? Go and what no more? Sin no more. So there's honesty in sinning. And then there's also repentance. Come as you are, but don't leave as you are. You see, simply confessing sin is not the end game. Transformation in the Christian life is the end game. Just being real and honest and uh, getting your sin out there for others to see and for God to see, that's that's not the end game transformation is what we want to see. We don't want to see people just confess. We want to see people overcome, overcome addiction, overcome battles, overcome Uh, crazy times in their marriage, overcome struggles in parenting, overcome uh, hurts from their childhood, overcome habits that they formed over the years, overcome the cycle of sin inherited from generation to generation in their family. We don't want to just confess it and bring it to the light. We want to overcome it. You are here today, not because you just want to feel good about your life, but you want to actually turn your life into something amazing. Can I get an amen? Right? That's what we want. We want to overcome. ...come sin, and that's exactly what God wants for you. Westminster Confession says it this way about repentance. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin... ...and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin. It's pretty strong words there. Hating it, acknowledging it, getting it out, hatred of it. Then they turn from it, that's repentance, unto God... With full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. Repentance involves confessing your sin, leaving it behind, and taking up your cross, following Jesus, obeying Christ. Because obedience matters and true confession leads to obedience. Let me tell you how this scenario works out in my household. So I told you guys I have two kids. I have a daughter who's seven. Her name is Blake. I have a son... Who's six? His name is John. Now, let's just say, hypothetically speaking here, that my kids get into it, and uh, this is all hypothetical, of course. This didn't happen yesterday or anything. Um, They get into it over something. I don't even know what it is because I'm doing my own thing. And uh, and I look in the corner of my eye and I see uh, Johnny tackles his sister. Okay, let's just the hypothetical. um, He would never do that. Uh, So. He tackles her. She responds to Johnny by taking his Pokemon cards. Okay, those are, that's, that's a fighting action right there, right? You steal a boy's Pokemon cards? That's a big deal in this world, apparently. So let's just say that happens. Well, when I'm dealing with an issue like this, there are two things that I'm looking for with my kids. Number one is confession. Tell me what happened and be honest. Johnny, you're first. What did you do? And and, and I, I'm expecting Johnny to confess, Daddy. I was too rough. I was too aggressive, and I, I tackled my sister. And I'm really sorry. I, I expect him to confess. Blake, I expect her to confess. Blake, how did you respond to Johnny? Well, I took his Pokemon cards. But what if I just stop there with my kids? Like, all right, good job, guys. Now, peace out. Go have fun. Five minutes later, I'm going to tell you this. Five minutes later, the same thing's going to happen again. Because I don't just expect confession from my kids. The next step I expect for them is obedience. So Johnny, thank you for telling me the truth. Now you're going to go into timeout, and you need to go and apologize to your sister. And I want to make sure you never do this again. Thank you for telling me the truth, but there are consequences, and, and you need to go and apologize. And Blake, I, I don't, I, I next, I don't know what I did with Blake this time because maybe he deserved to get his Pokemon's card stolen, but. Confession, obedience. That's parenting, right? Confess, obey. That's walking with God. Confess, obey. That's being a Christian. Confess, obey. Get it out. Live a new life. Both of them are empowered by the grace of God. Repentance doesn't stop at Confession and somewhere along the road in Christianity, we've become content with private. Confession, when when the end goal is not just confession. David didn't just confess to God in private and leave things alone. He confessed out in the open. He let everybody see. He was a leader of God's people. He couldn't keep his sin hidden. And so Psalm 32, Psalm 51, they're public confessions. And we need to, to know when we do wrong, we don't just apologize to God. We also apologize to those that we wronged. That's part of healing. First thing I did when I became a Christian was make a list of people I needed to apologize to. And half of those conversations went really well. Half of those conversations, the people said, I never want to talk to you again because I had made some major mistakes before knowing Christ. But that's part of healing, that's part of confessing, that's part of growing, that's part of leaving the past behind. Bring it to God and bring it to the appropriate people in your life. We need to commit to doing whatever it takes to get rid of destructive patterns, destructive behaviors, and sometimes that means sharing not with just God but with the people around you. Come as you are but don't leave as you are. And finally, number four, the fourth characteristic of the happy sinner is that the happy sinner is the delivered sinner. This person is forgiven. This person is honest. This person is repentant. And you know what happens at the end of the day in this person's life? If they do all three of those things, they are then finally and fully delivered. Are you looking for deliverance today, South Valley? Are you looking for deliverance from something small? Are you looking for deliverance from something big? Do you know somebody in your life that needs deliverance? Deliverance is a process. Being forgiven, being honest, being repentant. Then you're delivered. At the end of this psalm, David was finally and fully delivered. This is what he says. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David's conclusion at the end of the psalm, and the reason he's writing this psalm in the first place, because he has a question for everybody listening, and it's this What are you waiting for today? What are you waiting for? You, you know that deliverance is out there. You know that you can put your sin in the past. You know you don't have to live with the guilt anymore. You know you don't have to take up the same habits that others before you have taken off. Don't hold off, don't wait till it's too late. Do it now. He talks about the great waters overcoming a person in this passage. And the great waters that he's referencing here are the waters of judgment. And so what he's saying here is this, be delivered while there's time to be delivered. Because at some point, the great waters are going to build up and they're going to crash over you and it's going to be too late. At some point, you don't get another chance. At some point, you, 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 ha- you made your bed and now you have to sleep in it. But while there's breath in your lungs and while there's an opportunity to change, if, if you, can, you can ignore things for the rest of your life and just continue like you are and, and think that you're actually going to be happy inside. Or you can choose the path of true happiness by being a delivered sinner and being real with God and getting on track with God and allowing him to do in you what you could never do on your own. And so if sin is robbing you of joy today, be delivered today don't wait for tomorrow, don't wait for next Sunday, don't wait till after this vacation where things are going to get a little buck wild for a week and then you'll come back and repent, do it now, address the needs in your life now, mommies, your kids need you to address the needs in your life today, daddies, Your families need you to be real about the issues in your life today to get healthy with God, to get healthy with them today. Friends family members today is the day to get right with God to get right with others stop putting it off another day stop ignoring it because as long as you ignore it your bones will waste away as in the heat of summer as David said you will waste away under that dark cloud of sin and that guilt will drive you to do crazy ridiculous things as you try to live and cope with the things of the past when in reality the past can be dealt with in one swift moment through confusion. Confession to Jesus Christ. Jesus forgives sinners. He wants to forgive you today. So in conclusion, stop justifying sin. Stop justifying the sins of others. If We want to be real with God. We have to be real about our sins. We have to be real about the sins of others. No longer justifying it. No longer making up excuses for it. Being honest. Looking in the mirror. Number two, confess your sins to God and to someone you trust. Now, this added line here is the real challenge today. It's time to get it out. It's time to be real about that thing that's haunting you and get it out. Tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your kids tell someone you trust, tell your pastor, tell somebody, get it out. Don't let the guilt haunt you anymore. Confess your sins to God and to someone you trust. Choose to obey. Walk the Psalm 1 path of obedience, the path that leads to to blessing. Walk that path. And when you fall off the path, Get back up again by confessing to God, confessing to others, choosing to obey. That's the Christian life. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect the moment you confess. I mean, you're still a work in progress, which leads to the final point. You need people around you. This is my goal for South Valley in the fall. South Valley in the fall is going to be a church that has people surrounded by people. That's who we're going to be in the fall. So all our plans for this fall are to surround each other with each other okay we want to be a group a church where we're not doing life alone as i'm getting to know you i'm seeing that things are rising to the surface this is good this is the holy spirit at work this is us addressing needs in our lives praise god for that that's nothing to be ashamed of that's exciting stuff we've gone through hard things you guys have gone through trauma as a church you guys have gone through trauma in your own lives things are coming to the surface i've gone through trauma in my life things are coming to the surface now it's time to work out these things with others and so this fall my challenge to you is going to be to join a group, a rooted group. We're going to start lots and lots of groups throughout the fall. We want to see everybody in a group because this is where growth happens when you're rubbing shoulders with other believers. So you could sign up for that today because we might only have limited room for that. So check that out on the Church Center app. And so we're going to close with a song and here's our, here's our tendency. Song starts, we start looking at the watch We start thinking about our food, and we check out. That's not what God wants us to do today. I want to give you three or four four minutes. Some of you are like, what? Four more minutes in service? Yes. Three or four more minutes in service to talk to God. We're always so quick to leave these things behind. Sometimes it... We just need to to talk to God. The word was preached. Whether or not this was my best sermon, that doesn't matter. What matters is that the word was preached. You guys heard the word. I heard the word. God spoke to us through his word. Something stood out to us. The Holy Spirit said something to us. What are we going to do about it? Take this time in this final song to talk with God. Don't be in a rush to go. Talk with God. We're always in such a rush. We need to slow down and ask him, what do you want me to do today? Maybe it's time to have that honest honest conversation. Maybe it's time to call a counselor. Maybe it's time to stop doing Christianity alone. Maybe it's time to confess and believe in Jesus for the first time. Whatever you need, I'm going to give you a song right now to process it. And then I'm going to come back up to dismiss you. So let's pray and let's sing one more song together. God. I know that today is very different service. You're prying into our lives, and that's not fun. But you do it because you love us. You see what destruction sin brings upon our families, upon our mental health, upon our joy and happiness and, and, and well being. You see what it does. And so you pry. And you pry and you pry because if you don't, the sin is going to prod and pull us darker and deeper and further from you. And it's going to cause us to do things that that we we regret. We're going to hide. We're going to do weird things out of guilt. We're going to make irrational decisions. We're going to take up nasty habits. We're going to do all these kinds of things that just bring us further into isolation, hurt us even more, hurt our families even more. And so you are screaming at us today to stop and to finally be real and to look to you and to own up to it. We're all sinners. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to hide. We don't have to fear. We can be real. We're sinners by nature and choice. I am. All of us are. We can confess and be real. Help us to be courageous today, to make an end to this pattern in our lives today day to finally be free i pray for your freedom right here right now even in this final song break through make us free set these chains free give us life through your spirit pray in jesus name